What is the wellspring of a truly good life? Life well lived, life rich in purpose and sacrifice and adventure. These are themes that our guest today, John Eldridge, has explored and written about and lived for decades. Many people, including me, have been inspired by his books to quest after much more than just tepid comfort and safety. But for John, the real source of that kind of full, adventurous life isn't merely wanderlust or adrenaline or hunger after far-off places. It's rooted in smaller, daily choices that any of us can make amidst ordinary places. Most of all, it springs from a healthy soul. Today, we'll hear from John why he believes this is true, and also many of the habits and practices he's found can make all the difference. Welcome to Justice and the Inner Life, presented by the Christian Alliance for Orphans. We'll explore what it takes to sustain a heart of justice and mercy over a lifetime. Here's your host, Jed Medifint. Well, I am here with John Eldreds, a husband, father, uh, speaker, writer, counselor, but most of all, a follower of Jesus Christ. And John, it is a privilege to be with you here on Justice in the Inner Life. Well, thank you, Jed. Great to, great to be with you. Love what you're doing. Believe in it. Amen. Well, John, you know, one of the things that you have uh, been known for over the years is the call to a really muscular faith, you know, risk and sacrifice and adventure. And, um, you know, I, I think that, that some folks would see that vision for faith as very separate um, from the idea of cultivating our inner life in Christ. That's seen as maybe perhaps, uh, you know, spend time alone in solitude and, and reflection, but very different than, than that kind of adventurous faith. But I know you don't see it that way. Um, how do you see those two things fitting together? Well, you know, it's ironic that I, I am viewed like that in many circles because what we actually set out to do was heal people's souls. And, and when you heal the masculine soul, what tends to emerge is courage and sacrifice and risk taking. And, you know, when, when a man is, is being restored, we, we won't call it finished because we're all still underway. But as, as a man is being restored from trauma, from childhood wounds, from addictions, from places of brokenness and bondage, he becomes a more courageous man. It, 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 he becomes a, a braver man, a, a frankly, a more sacrificial man. Yes. And so, yes, I totally believe in boldness and adventure and risk taking, but it actually comes out of wholeheartedness. And, and that is the core of the mission. And, and, and whether it is for um, men or women, what we're after is, is inner wholeness, inner restoration and out of that comes this incredibly fruitful life. Uh, and so I, they're directly connected. You know, you can't sustain the one without the other. Uh, you know, simply trying to live, you know, taking risks uh, while you still have a high level of personal brokenness <laughs> is actually those are the famous train wrecks that you read about. 
You know, yeah. those are the yeah. those are the stories that make the news, right? Yeah, and and engaging risk in unhealthy ways, right, in self destructive ways, because we're desperate either for the approval of others or perhaps for an adrenaline rush, and and when we're going out for that purpose, it ultimately ends in in usually a sad sad story. Yeah, exactly. In fact, a man's a man's deepest search is for validation, uh, and, and we can unpack that if you want. But um, boys, young men, men. Uh, you know, it's what drives his career. It's what causes him to want to be a public speaker. It, you know, why young men jump off bridges and race motorcycles and do the crazy stuff they do. And why the little boy, when he's riding his bike with no hands, you know, he wants somebody there to see it. Right. Cause, cause we're, yeah. Every, yeah. we're looking for, we're looking for validation. And, and if that validation thing isn't healed in us, is it, it isn't hooked up to a reliable source, which would be God. Um, then that search for validation can get you to do a lot of stupid things. So you, as a leader, as a counselor, you interact with a lot of leaders, uh, especially men, in, in very vulnerable places in their lives. And um, uh, over the years, have you seen patterns um, in terms of what seems to be present or, or perhaps seems to be missing in the lead up to burnout? Um, you know, and I don't so much mean like a, a mega pastor or a politician, but, but ordinary people, ordinary leaders who are trying to lead and work hard and serve well, but are finding themselves at the point of, of breakdown and burnout. Yes. <clears throat> yes. We, you could put them into two categories. One is unresolved inner brokenness. Um, and, and that might be childhood trauma. It might be abandonment. It might be, the breakup of a, of a first um, love, uh, but unresolved inner brokenness um, will eventually lead to burnout. It just will because because um, you're you're not well inside. You're not wholehearted. The other is um, a life a life that is not structured around um, drawing on the life of God. Um, vine and branch, you know, uh, we, we are all cut flowers and, and we need to be restored mm. to a source of life. Um, and, it, and if you don't, if you don't have a life that is organized around kind of regularly receiving your life and your love and your restoration from God, I don't care how noble hearted you are. You can't sustain that. The mm. human beings mm-hmm. can't. Yes. Live like that. So it's, it's, it's going to fall into one of those two categories. Let's dig deeper into the latter. Not, not that the former is not immensely significant. Um, but, but as we're talking about that, that, that cut flower analogy, that's, that's so, uh, apropos, I think, to what we're talking about. And especially when we're talking about people who, who yearn to, uh, to love and to serve their neighbor, to, to, who are daily pouring themselves out into vulnerable children, into widows, into uh, mentoring, counseling. They're, maybe they're adoptive or foster parents, and they're pouring themselves into to need. And um, if there is not something that they are drawing their life from, they are absolutely going to be withered flowers very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you, you, you said that what needs to happen is we need to order or structure our lives around drawing life from this deeper source. Unpack that a little bit further. When you say order or structure our lives around that, what do you mean? 
this is a wonderful conversation and we, we it, it will take a little unpacking but let let me just give a couple immediate examples it um where in your day do you have sacred space that the, the human soul needs room to breathe where there is no stimulus there you're not being marketed to mm-hmm. you're not being you're not you're not being assaulted by media the trauma of the world is not set before you in in the sacred space that it is it is time where you simply have room to breathe mm. and, and 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 to simply be with God most people do not have any and, and and unfortunately the busiest people in the world are the people that are in the causes of justice mm-hmm. yes you know uh, and 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 I'm I'm there. I mean, I signed up as a counselor to heal human trauma and 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 and, and heal hum- humanity. That's what got me into this. If you do not have sacred space, how how will you draw your life from God? It it simply doesn't work. Of course, there's so many ways we could so, so many directions we could take that that thought. Describe Let's just get really tangible here. Describe what sacred spaces look like in your life, John. Okay, so I, I had to I had to be very vigilant. I, I am an achiever, you know. If you do those strengths tests, man, and I'm I'm off the charts on get it done kind of personality, and um, very practically, do not check your phone first thing in the morning. When you wake up, do not look at your feed. Do not check your texts. Do not look at email. You have to have some moment in your morning for your soul simply to, to connect again with God. And, and, and what we do, you know, people take their phones into their bedrooms and, and, and literally the very first thing they'll do is wake up and check the news mm-hmm. and, and then their feed. And, and then, and then, you know, they'll answer a few texts and quickly check work email. You, you are already swept down the river of distraction and heartache and worry and stress. And, you know, um, so in the morning, uh, you know, a discipline would be don't check your phone. Don't don't watch the news. Um, no media, no technology um, to create some sp- sacred space in the morning would be one example of that. Yes. Um, you know, you, you have these examples in scripture, you know, like when, um, I, I, anyway, I, I adopted something that's become very helpful. That I call the one minute pause. When I pull in my, my, my truck into work in the morning, when I pull into the driveway in the evening, I turn my engine off and I simply lay my forehead on, on my steering wheel. And one minute, it feels like a vacation. Hmm. Yes, because it's it, 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 I'm not rushing to the next thing. It's not the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. You know, it's work and then parenting and then being a good husband and then, you know, pause and 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 let it all go. And so I, I have these I have these pauses in my day that allow me to release all my concern and simply. Receive the love of God again. Just re—it's a reboot. I'm re—I'm rebooting. I'm recentering myself in the thing that I believe in, in the in the things that that, that are absolutely core to, to to my convictions. It's just that I'm trying to put them into practice. Mm-hmm. 
And you do that with a, a particular external cue. Every time your car pulls into a particular place and stops, that's for you. What kind of triggers that reminder? I'm going to open a minute here and be present with the Lord and then transition into the next moment that he has for me. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And and then I, I would name a couple other things. I mean, there, you know, this is we have we have a lot of material here that we could be chatting about. But um, I the Desert Fathers had a practice called benevolent detachment. Uh, it's not cynicism. Uh, it, it's not anger. It's not withdrawal. It's not the move away personality style. It, it is it is a loving release of the cares of the world. Uh, I, I'm a very empathetic person, and people's suffering really tears me up. Um, and and in the evening, before I go to bed, one of the things that I now pray with my wife is, I give everything and everyone to you, Jesus. Hmm. And and I will I will have to be very specific. I I I give you you know the client I just counseled. I give you the single mom I just helped in the parking lot. I, I give to you the shooting that, that we all just read about. I, I, I give everyone and everything to you, God. And it, it is a, it is the practice of a release because the human soul is finite. But you now live in a time where, um, heartache is infinite. Yes. That every, I mean, you, the pain, the sorrow, the tragedy, the natural disasters in every community of the world are now delivered into your life. Mm-hmm. And the human soul was never meant for that scope of information. Mm. We were never, we were never, because yes. we are finite. Every, yeah. every soul is finite. You just do not have the capacity. So I have to practice benevolent detachment, release. I just call it release. We're, you know, for me, I do it a couple times a day, but at least at bedtime, hmm. I, I give everyone and everything to you, God, because you are God and I am not. And, and, and I am little and you are big. And, and yes. I have I have to let this go. And, and the, the point of that is when you do that, whether you are creating sacred space in the morning by not looking at your phone or, or you're, you're you're releasing the cares of your your world on a regular, you know, on a daily basis to God, what you're doing is you are creating room in your soul that was otherwise inhabited by other things. You're creating room for God to come into your soul. And if you build it, he will come. (laughs) (laughs) If you build it, he will come. The benevolent release thought, I think, is immensely significant for people who care deeply about the world's hurt. I mean, you, you said that about yourself, but of course we're talking about all, all of the folks who are listening to this program are people who are serving because they've, they've grieved over the world's hurt. And so they've, you know, beca- become committed to the, the cause of orphans or widows or, or kids in foster care and they are pouring themselves out because of that. And, and so just as you described, John, uh, so often we can feel the infinite weight of that. I mean, even in one child, it can be crushing, right? The, the, the hurt of one 
wounded child, yet when you then amplify it by by a whole city of of foster youth and then you turn on the news and it's a whole world of earthquakes and and famines, unless we're able to recognize our finitude and then release that to the Lord um, and that practice of doing that with a rhythm nightly, that makes (laughs) so much sense that as we lay in bed, we say, Lord, I'm going to be sleeping. I know you, you designed for me to sleep because I'm finite. And yet you are continue to work and to care for these individuals through through the night. Chad, one of the things that that um, became a real epiphany to me that I think might be helpful to your listeners is that empathy, like any other gifting, is something that needs to be consecrated on a regular basis to Christ. I, I and and most caring people in in these you know ministries and professions and and work have very high empathetic gifting. And, and that, that is like, like public speaking or, or, or like teaching or service or anything else that actually needs to be consecrated on a regular basis mm-hmm. to Jesus Christ. And, and, and in, particularly in the millennial generation, I think no one has told them this, mm. that their, their empathy is off the charts, that they are the empathetic generation, right? Because they're the generation that was raised on the tragedy of the world. You know, it was, it was delivered to them on their phones, you know, starting, you know, in, in elementary or grade school and off they, you know, um, but your empathetic gifting is something that will be absolutely crushed by the world or frankly by the enemy um, who sees your gifting and would love nothing more than to overwhelm it. Um, and so I have to consecrate my empathy on a regular basis to Christ, just that, just like I would any other kind of gifting. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm a writer, so I consecrate my writing. Um, I don't feel like I write well unless I do do that. Um, you know, I, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I, I consecrate that. I consecrate my parenting, you know, but we've left this realm of the human soul almost as if it didn't need to be consecrated because it's such a beautiful thing. Mm, It's empathy. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But my goodness, of all of our gifting, empathy is something that needs to be consecrated to Christ on a regular basis. Um, Not just so that the pain of the world doesn't overwhelm you, though, though for that. But one of the great surprises of the life of faith is it's not your it's not your bad heart that's going to get you to do something you shouldn't do. It's your good heart mm-hmm. that's going to get yes. you to do something you shouldn't do. And, and and if you don't consecrate that empathy to Christ, you, you're going to say yes to things you shouldn't be saying yes to. And you're going to take on causes that you actually weren't called to and you know mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. you will be you will be hurt i'm trying to keep people from being hurt and from being hurt by things they shouldn't be be hurt yeah. by yeah right. right and 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 kind of as as you're saying any good gift can be distorted by the enemy for ill. In, in fact, that's the essence of his of his work, right? It's a taking a good thing and twisting it in some, some form or fashion. So how much more so some of the best gifts, including sexuality and marriage, but empathy is right there at the center yeah. of that as well. Yeah. yeah. Empathy, compassion, caring, however you want to yeah. say that. And, and, and I finally, I finally really came to this last year and realized, Jesus, I, I have to give my caring 
capacity or what we would call empathy, I have to give that to you on a regular basis, Scott. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned millennials specifically and, and concerns about the, the empathy element there. And, and pr prior to this, this conversation, you were sharing with me just a little bit about other concerns you have for millennials. So much good, so much potential in this generation, um, but, but also as they wade out in the world to, to try to do justice and, and to live out a commitment to justice, um, sometimes uh, you, you expressed fearing that they um, don't have the, the, the mooring or the, maybe the nourishment that would sustain them in that. Tell us a little more about that. Okay. So uh, a, a friend of mine is the director of um, a home for trafficked girls in um, Central America. And the average um, duration of the director in that position is one year. Mm. People do not last more than a year. And that breaks my heart. Like, mm. I hate that. I can't, like, that's wrong. That This work is too important. It matters too much. And so I really... I really had to begin to talk to him and, and others and think about as a counselor, why is this happening? You know, and we, we just, you know, use the typical burnout thing, but that's not helpful. Um, burnout is real, but it doesn't help us think about what is it. Um, and, and for me, I, it brings us back to the two things you started the podcast with. Um, when you venture into, um, <laughs> for lack of a better uh, description, the rescue trade, um, any, any line of work mm -hmm, where you are mm -hmm. intervening, you're mm -hmm. intervening for human beings. Um, your own personal brokenness will, will surface. It will be found out. Um, trauma triggers trauma, wounding triggers wounding stories that you hear trigger things in your own story. It just happens. And so the more that we can encourage wholeheartedness um, before we launch out, um, the better it's going to go for those. Now, my friend has been the director in this position now for seven years, which is just it's miraculous. Mm. If you if you give the track record yeah, of every other absolutely. director. Well, the reason is he takes he takes his own personal restoration seriously. He, he sees a counselor. Uh, on a regular basis, he, he, he gets away for, you know, silent prayer retreats and, and things that heal the soul. And, and so what's happened with the millennial generation is they too have a great deal of personal trauma. Um, uh, you know, the abuse, uh, for example, if we, we just take sexual abuse, the uh, sexual abuse rates in, in the millennial generation are higher than they've been for any generation prior to them. Uh, if we do not lovingly attend to our own woundedness, we get into the lives of others, the causes, the things, and, and, and it triggers our own brokenness. And that tends to lead to the burnout or the addictions or the, you know, we start medicating with, you know, food or social media or alcohol or, you know, um, we need we need to medicate more and more because we're not attending to our own trauma, mm -hmm. and and I, that would just be one of the great. I just I just want so much for the great caring capacity of the millennial generation um, to to have with it the, the restoration of their own trauma. Mm. 
the healing of their own brokenness so that they can survive out there. You spoke of the sacred spaces and and times, and you you talked about your own day uh, carving that time out in the morning um, prior to engaging the world and social media and email. Uh, And then you also talked about that moment when you arrive home and when you've arrived at work, um, and then the the moment before before sleep. Um, So those are daily habits. How about on a more monthly or annual um, rhythm, more extended times? I, I hear you alluding to that. Uh, how, how significant have, have those, you know, a single, you know, 24 hours or perhaps multiple days been for you? Yes. Um, <clears throat> crucial, critical, absolutely necessary. We're, we're um, to give people some idea uh, um, of why I need, you know, we're deep in it. We, we heal um, broken lives on a regular basis in our work. And so we're deep in it. We, we see the trauma, we hear the stories, um, and, and, and we train people to do it all around the world. So we hear their stories. And, um, so on, um, we always talk about recovery time. Um, anytime we've been in, in a serious, um, intervening situation what's your recovery time what what are you going to do are you you taking the morning off tomorrow uh are are you making sure that you're getting sabbath this weekend like like protecting recovery time because i used to just live from battle to battle to battle to battle mission to mission to mission to mission and i the thing is i could pull that off for a while as a younger man you know you just have stamina (laughs) um but the but the long-term effect on that on my soul was really not good um, and then every, every summer I, I take Sabbath every summer. And, and I, I do need to say that vacation and Sabbath are not the same things. Uh, family visits and Sabbath are not the same things. You know, people will take their two precious weeks and, you know, they'll, they'll either blow it on an adrenaline trip. Um, you know, they go, you know, let's go raft the Grand Canyon or let's go, you know, sea kayaking in, in Mexico or whatever. And, um, when what your soul actually needs is Sabbath, you, you, you need, you know, um, time that actually feels restorative to your soul. And family visits are not that either. You know, going home to see mom and dad or going to visit the grandparents, that's a different thing. Those tend to be very draining things. So every summer, Stacy and I will take Sabbath. Um, and, and the whole point um, of Sabbath is to allow your soul to recover. So we do those things that help our souls recover. For us, it's it's nature, it's beauty. Uh, go to some beautiful place. Go to the ocean. Go to the mountains. You know, go to the desert. Go to some place that it, beauty. Um, it's very very low on technology. We we really unplug. Uh, we're not checking email every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 then we are we're taking walks. We're listening to music. We're reading. We're we're doing things that at the end of it, we are replenished, not, wow, I need a vacation from my vacation. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. So you're using the term Sabbath to refer to an extended period of time of a week to two, two weeks for that. How about on a, on a weekly rhythm basis? Do you, do you set aside a certain block of time each week for a, um, you know, in a more traditional understanding of that word? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And what does that look um, like? And, yeah. Yep. So um, 
We had to start. Yeah. So there's at least Sunday. Um, but if Sunday, you know, we obviously do a lot of ministry. So if we happen to be ministering on a Sunday, then it's Monday. Like you, you got to get your Sabbath. Um, you got to get at least one day. Um, and and but even in addition, so we have one day that's sacred, one day that's not um, it's not technology. It's not work. I'm not working on a new book. I'm not writing. Um, I'm walking the dog. I'm, I'm puttering in the garage. I'm just doing things that are sort of nothing, you know, um, just nothing time. And, and, and so at least, at least Sunday. Um, and I, I got a lot of, tr- I got in a lot of trouble for saying this, uh, in a book, but I'm going to go ahead and say it again here. Most people's experience of church is actually not Sabbath for the simple proof that when they get home from it, they are exhausted. Okay, and 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 therefore you you have not had Sabbath, you, you've okay. had church activity, you know, and it's usually in the young kids' years. It's 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 getting the family out, getting them going, getting the you know, it's chaos, and 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 by the time you get home, and then you got to stop at a fast food restaurant, grab something for lunch, and you know the family gets home around one o'clock, two o'clock, everybody's wiped out. That is not Sabbath. So I believe in church. I believe in fellowship. I believe in worship. I believe in the sacraments. I, all those things are very important. However, you've got to have Sabbath every week. So, so if that's not Sabbath, where is? Like, is so, it so Saturday? What, I'm, I'm tracking with you 100. percent And we, we just have just come through the the kids being little stage, and it's getting a little easier now. But you know, totally track it. Like Sunday morning, especially exhausting. I mean, really, there's there's no time that feels totally down, right? In, 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 until the kids are in bed. Right. Um, so, so what what counsel would you have for someone who says, I really want to carve out time for Sabbath? The truth is, I've got the kids, and I've got to care for them, and and I can't really take more than one day a week, you know, away from kind of tasks and productivity. But I yes. want to carve out 24 hours. But what does it look like when I also am deeply committed to church? Well, I would actually say to you, let me tell you, it would be more valuable then. Take your evenings back. Take your evenings back. Uh, as soon as the kids are in bed, you've got an hour or two that's yours. Now that's Sabbath. For me, it used to purely be medication. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like TV or something like that? Oh, numb out, check out. Yeah. What, you know, yeah. just TV, a couple of beers, like, you know, whatever it takes to medicate, right? Bag of donuts, you know, uh, <laughs> whatever works, right? A couple chocolate bars. Um, it was pure medication. And I realized I'm medicating, but I'm not coming away from it restoring. Mm, that's and so. I get it. You may not have, who are you going to give the kids to? I, I totally get that. But in the evening, you probably have an hour after they go to bed that you could take back and turn into your Sabbath time. Mm-hmm. And I, I still do this and I don't have, I don't have, uh, um, young kids, but here's what I mean. So here's what I do. I go, I, I turn off the lights. I light a candle and I play worship music. Hmm. And, and, and I'm telling you, 40 minutes of that is so restorative for the soul. And if you can do that a couple of nights a week, two, three, you are getting Sabbath. You're just finding it in pieces where you can. And then sometimes it's not the candle in worship. Sometimes I'm just sitting in a chair um, and I'm journaling. Uh, or, or because 
um, to write out, let me explain journaling very quickly, to, to write out, not a diary, to write out what you are feeling actually is proven to disarm the power and stress of those feelings. Hmm. And so to just name it and go, man, I am so racked with this relationship, this conversation, and you know, so sometimes for me it's journaling, sometimes it's prayer, sometimes it's worship, but there is sacred space that I can grab in the late evening um, instead of checking Facebook or, yeah. or, or yeah. watching the Broncos game. Right, which is checking Facebook or any of those things, it, it, the word you use is medication, and it's, and it's really a numbing, right? And it's not a healing medication. It's not uh, adding you know, health to your body. It's just kind of numbing the pain or the distraction yeah. or, or any of those yeah. things for sure. Hmm. You shall know them by their fruits. Anything you do in your life, you can hold that test up to. Jesus is brilliant. You shall know them by their fruits. Is this restorative? What you call your downtime, your Sabbath time, your recreation, whatever, is it restorative? And, and, and as much as I enjoy working out, I had to stop going to the gym because of the gym I go to, they play very loud music and they have television screens everywhere. And, and I, I'm like, I, I, I'd rather run outside. I can't take it. This place is not restorative to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. It's stimulating. It's more of the media bombardment. And I, I don't, I don't need that. My life has got full of that. And, and I think we could allow for, to some degree, people saying, well, you know, I get restored in different ways, but I think there's su- certain universals there that, yes. um, you know, that, that God's wired us to thrive in beauty. And so if we are in the woods or in a beautiful park or along a stream, he's probably going to be able to feed us in a, in a unique way that's going to be much harder at a gym with televisions in the background. Okay, there's so much, de- there's so much research on this now, it's overwhelming. That a 20-minute walk in the woods lowers your cortisol levels. That um, The healing power of nature, patients in hospitals that have a window view of nature versus those that don't recover twice as fast. Like the, the data is overwhelming that nature heals the human soul. And, and yet 85% of Americans do not have any nature in their life. Mm. They, they mm. don't walk on the beach. They don't go to the park. They don't water their plants. They, they, they literally have nothing. And, and that is you're starving your soul. Like you cannot live in an artificial world all your all your life um, that we are created to live in creation mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and what what creation does for human beings is so restorative so i would say yeah get to the park you know get get, get near the ocean sit near some trees take a walk in the evening under the stars something <laughs> well and and scripture says that it is literally divine self-revelation, right? The, the heavens declare the glory of God and that, like it says in Romans, where, where Paul describes that God's invisible qualities are evidenced from the things that he has made. And so when we are exposing ourselves to those things, we're exposing ourselves to the creator and to his revelation to us in, in beautiful ways. Which is why it's always a part of our summer, mm-hmm. uh, is we, we choose beauty. And, and gang, you've seen the research, right? That the Levels of anxiety and depression are on a direct correlation 
to the amount of social media mm-hmm. consumption. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, you, you know, you're going, folks, like, why subject yourself to anxiety and depression, you know, unplug from technology and listen to beautiful music or take a, take a walk outside in the evening, like let yourself be restored. Well, John, this, let me ask, we don't have a lot of time left, but there's one, one other topic that I wanted to just draw from, even though it sounds, it seems a little unrelated. I, I think it really ties well to this, that, that I know one of your core values is the idea of, of staying small. Yes. Stay small. And, you know, everything in our world pulls in the opposite direction, including in Christian ministry, that if you, you know, if you explain, if you expand your platform, if you have more followers on Twitter or whatever it might be, if we get bigger, we will have more kingdom impact. Um, but but you are choosing and wanting to cut directly against that. Why is that? Um, for the simple reason that bigger requires a lifestyle to sustain it. And that lifestyle I knew would destroy me. That um, in, our choice to remain small is in order that we might practice all of the things that we've been talking about for the last forty minutes. Like that, you, you you can't you can't offer life unless you have life, and you can't have life if you don't have a life. You have to have a life. Right. Where's your space in the day to walk the dog? Where's your space in the day to to just cook dinner? Where's the where's the soul space that allows you to have a mission in the world? Hmm. And 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 uh, I read I read a a sermon years ago by Francis Schaeffer that shaped this ethos very deeply. It's called the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Um, You can look it up online. But what Schaeffer was saying, he was taking the principle of when you are invited into a feast, take the lowest seat uh, until someone invites you up and, and to, to, to take a, more, you know, a higher position. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. He, he applied it to ministry, and he said our posture in ministry ought to be um, that we refuse to grow unless God forces it mm-hmm. versus this grasping you know, for growth and the, and the bigger is better and the more, because the fact is, it's just not. I mean, I, you know, I can tell you, I, I've seen bigger and better. I've worked with bigger and better and, um, it doesn't necessarily mean more impact, but it sure means more drain on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that many more emails to answer, that many more projects to monitor, that much more money to raise. And, uh, I don't think God's in that. I really don't think he's in the bigger is better thing. How did you get to the point where you can say that with such conviction? Because I, I, I imagined even, you know, from reading your books and even what you said earlier about being an achiever, that there's something in you that, that does pull towards the bigger is better. And that, that you, in a certain sense, had to choose to own this idea that actually bigger is not better. Yeah, it's uh, uh, bad choices. Hmm bad choices in ministry personally reaching for you know reaching growing pushing um, not not living a realistic life um, and 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 burning out mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and uh, I, I didn't want to be one of the I didn't want to be one of the casualties I didn't want to be one, one of the blow-up stories I, 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 I want my kids to be able to say um, I had my dad. I had my dad, I had his attention. I could call him. He was available. We hung out together. We, you know, like I want those stories. Mm. And my life was not headed in any of that direction. It was more, faster, louder, bigger, 
push, push, push. And, and, and frankly, let's just be honest, the seduction of that. Yeah. Uh, because issues of identity, <laughs> issues of self-worth, issues of meaning, uh, many, many, many people in ministry feel that if you are moving fast, that equals significance. Mm. No, wow. you're just moving fast. It's, it, it has nothing to do with significance. Well, well said, well said. And, you know, and I see so clearly, maybe this is especially evident in ministry with children, whether, you know, orphan children, foster youth, other kids, but, you know, what they so desperately need are eyes that light up when they enter the room. You know, they need to hear in your voice excitement to see them and the tenderness and the grace. And those are just things we can't offer if we are totally spent, if we have poured out more than we have allowed the Lord to pour in. And and so it's 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 about both uh, certainly a balanced, you know, healthy life, but it is even our capacity to minister in any meaningful way totally hinges on this as well. We, we were offered uh, several years ago, we were offered um, the prime time slot on one of the major Christian networks for free, millions of dollars of free space if we would create a show. Um, and it, it, it just looked like it was right in our wheelhouse. It looked like it was right up our alley. And, um, and we prayed about it. And we, and, and what God showed us is he says, you realize if you take this on, it will change you and, and you will have to become something you don't want to become. And, and so we turned it down and, and, and the, the network actually, they could not believe it. No one had ever turned down an offer like that. I'm not bragging about this. I'm just saying, I, I, I don't. I don't want to blow up. I don't want to blow up. And, and it, ministry creates momentum, and momentum requires things of you. Be very careful of the momentum that you're creating, because once it's created, it's really hard to to back it off. That is so true. So true. Yeah. I, you know, my wife uh, and I are both on the board of an organization where where we've. We love, love the vision, but we have watched over a decade the, the, the founders succeed and that momentum carry them into places that are, that are just, we, we see they're so, uh, you know, so drained. And even at that point, urging to pull back and begging to pull back and trying to carve out space so that they can take Sabbath, whether, you know, Sabbath vacation or Sabbath weekly, feels to them impossible. Yes, right. Yeah. The world is too much with us. <laughs> Late and Words soon. where it said. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Mm. So, John, as, as we're kind of heading towards the end here, what? Um, I'm just be curious if if you were talking to yourself, um, you know, thirty some years ago, kind of t- towards the the early end of things, what words of counsel would you give, especially in regard to? habits and practices and choices that would be critical to sustaining you for the long journey. Please get a mentor. I wish somebody would have said that to me. Please get an older man or woman in your life that can speak into your life. Um, you just don't have the wisdom right now to guide your own life. You just don't. Uh, please get a mentor. I think I would have said, please, please hang on to your friendships. Play. Is, is, is as important as work. And, and I, I, I just left friends behind for work. 
and mission and, you know, what I thought was the Lord's work, mm. you know, and, mm. uh, and I just, I left behind, I didn't seek a mentor out. I, I didn't hang on to friendships um, that would require me to play. Um, and, and I think I would say for me personally, um, the, the, the daily practice of sacred space would have saved me a lot of grief um, in the early years. Hmm. So where, hmm. Where's your sake? Where's your sacred space, John? Where is it? Because I, I had none. Hmm. I filled hmm. every waking moment hmm. and felt good about myself. See, that's the thing. You feel like you're the man because you're getting all kinds of stuff done and it's absolutely horrible. Well, I think that among so many other things you've shared that that commitment to sacred spaces within our lives, um, so difficult. I know for, for many people who are serving and serving faithfully, they feel like it's a luxury they can't afford. And yet the, the, the truth is they will not be able to sustain in the work if they don't make that choice. And even to the extent that they are able to sustain, they will not be able to love in the way that those they're serving need to be loved if they are not making those choices like, like you, you shared. The, 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 in the morning, not engaging technology until you've spent some time in quiet with the Lord and um, and then those those moments I loved as you described putting your head on the steering wheel and just a moment of Sabbath within the rhythm of the day there yeah and, and then the, at the end of yeah. the day that benevolent release um, just handing all of those things that concern you back into the Lord's hands so that you can sleep without them on your shoulders yeah it's really good it's rescuing me it's rescuing me. Mm. Well, John, thanks so much for this conversation. Uh, re- really grateful for it, and uh, both both personally, but I, I trust that uh, many who hear this will will be both encouraged and challenged, and, and I, I pray nourished as well. I pray too. I pray too, because their work matters too much. Uh, we can't lose you. We can't lose you. There's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of soldiers out there, gang. We can't lose you. Don't burn out. Take care of yourself. John expressed it so well. If we want to go the distance to keep serving in the long, hard work of justice and mercy with calm, glad hearts, we just can't do it without habits and rhythms that feed the soul. We need sacred spaces amidst our media-saturated lives. We need Sabbath rest and play. We need times of true refreshment, not just the medication of technology or food or alcohol or Facebook We need time in God's creation. I know I often feel like I just don't have time for these things. The demands of ministry and just life itself make them feel like luxuries that I can't afford. But the truth is God wants these things for us. They aren't guilty pleasures we need to sneak when he's not looking. He made the Sabbath for us. He invites us to make times of quiet and solitude and play part of our daily and weekly rhythms, just like Jesus did. He's holding these things out to us as gifts, but we need to choose them. If we just go on with the status quo, at best, we'll keep plotting with the same feelings of dryness or anxiety or that whisper that we always need to do more. But if we choose to put these choices first, even when that means sacrificing productivity, God will fill us in ways that allow us to be more fruitful over time more productive in the very best sense of the word. 
As John said at the start of the interview, that kind of wholeheartedness, that nearness to God, that calm within is the wellspring of the courage and adventure and self-giving that leads to the very best life. I know that's what I want. How about you? If it is, I'd encourage you to pick one of the habits that John shared, whether the the one-minute pause at key transitions of the day, or a day of Sabbath rest and play, or the prayer of benevolent release each night, or simply exchanging time with screens for time in nature, and then do it. Receive the gift. Start putting it into practice this week. You've been listening to Justice and the Inner Life with Jed Medefit, a production of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. To learn more about the Alliance, visit kfo.org.